Well, tonight we're going to pick back up with the Gospel of Mark, as we talked about a couple of months ago. Uh, We were going to take a break from Mark and come back to it as we got ready for the season leading up to the Passion. And so tonight we're going to start with Mark chapter 11, and this evening I want to talk about why we follow Jesus, and that's the triumphal entry, as we call it, the Palm Sunday entry. Really, the question is, why do we follow Jesus? And that's a question for all of us to ask ourselves, is why are we following the Lord? Why are we serving Jesus? I can remember through the years and quite a few decades now of ministry of people who follow Jesus passionately and they're still serving the Lord. I got a, a, a voicemail today that I haven't had time to return yet, but from a friend that came to know Jesus years and years ago and was telling me about the goodness of God in his life and in his marriage and his children. And then I think about some of those that I knew that started following Jesus and they they fell by the wayside. They quit following Jesus. And back in the 70s, we had a way of sometimes telling people you know, about Jesus, it probably wasn't the smartest way. There was a song, it was really popular when Becky and I were youth pastors and drug abuse was high. I worked in mental health and so I worked with a lot of drug addicts, but there was a song that was real popular and that some of you know it, you're in my generation if you do, Jesus made me higher than I've ever been before. Well, who wouldn't want that, you know, that Jesus made me higher And then we would just sing that song with our hands lifted up. Jesus made me higher than I've ever. And I'd never been high in my life. So, but there were kids out there in my youth ministry. They understood exactly, you know, what that meant, that Jesus had made them higher. But then there were those that they followed Jesus and, and they turned back. And sometimes when I would talk to them, I'd say, why? And they'd go, you know, when I first started following Jesus, it was like, great. I felt good. I was on top of things. But after a while, I just didn't feel what I felt anymore. And maybe a problem came up in their life. Maybe there was a parent that died. Maybe there was a breakup of a romance. And they went back. And as one kid told me that went back to, to, to smoking marijuana and went back to his old lifestyle, he says, at least now I'm mellow and I'm peaceful. And he goes, Pastor Dennis, if Jesus works for you, that's cool. He says, but it just just doesn't work for me. And it really set me on a lifelong pursuit of preaching and teaching the gospel in a way that is true, that makes the promises that Christ makes, but also calls people to do what Jesus said. If you're going to follow him, there was another song we used to sing And that was, though none go with me, still I will follow. I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what. I'm going to take up my cross and follow Jesus. And this story brings out all of those elements that I think that we need to look at tonight. I think that one of the problems that happens in our contemporary culture is people, they don't see truth as objective like they used to. Truth is more about how I feel and what you feel. You know, everything else is subject to my personal happiness. And if it doesn't make me happy, then it's not true. And that's the reason people can say it works for you, but it doesn't work for me. Because 
their happiness or the happiness of men and women have become more important than the glory of God. And the Apostle Paul calls us to live a life and everything we do to do it all for the glory of God. The second thing that I want us to look at tonight is that as Jesus gets ready, before we even read the scripture, Jesus is in absolute control of everything that's going on. This is not a random story. Jesus is in control. And he's going to receive a tumultuous welcome. And you know from having already looked at the first 10 chapters of the book of Mark with me, Jesus has had some very difficult encounters, right? People that didn't believe in him, people that wanted him to leave. And now he's going to get this raucous welcome into to, to Jerusalem. But Jesus is in control. He's revealing himself as the Messiah. He's revealing himself as the Lamb of God. But there's also the fact that when you come into Jerusalem, you see other people that they're expecting him, like the twelve, and some of the other followers, they're expecting Jesus to set up his kingdom now and kick the Romans out, defeat the Romans. They're looking for an earthly kingdom, and that's why in just a few days, there's going to be so much confusion and so much scattering. One's going to deny, one's going to, to betray. So there's a lot going on here when you look at this picture that you just don't want to go, oh, this is the Palm Sunday. You want to see what's happening and why this is so important to the story. And even Mark doesn't give us as much detail as the other gospel writers do. And then you saw those in the, in the crowd. This was all about politics. They wanted to be on the winning side. You know, there are people they're always waiting to see who's going to be winning before they tell you who they're going to be for, you know? They never look at a platform. They never look at uh, what someone stands for. They look for the winning side. And if this year it's the, if it's the blue team, they're going to be for the blue team. If next year it's the red team, they're going to be for the red team. You know, and in some ways you could accuse me, I'm a Lions fan this year. I became a Lions fan, I, but I said it before the year got started. We're going to be Lions fans this year. And so I was able to cheer, but I don't deserve anything like the long-suffering people who have through the years been loyal Lions fans, okay? And so I, when you look at people who just go because it's popular, you need to question that. And then there are the Jewish leaders they're very, very frustrated and they're very angry. They want to kill Jesus because he's threatening their power base. So I want us to get ready and read this verse of Scripture tonight. And as you read, realize that in less than a week, this same crowd that is shouting Hosanna, they're going to be shouting crucify him. So it's very important we keep all of that in mind reading this passage. So let's look at Mark chapter 11, verse 1 through 11 tonight. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Now, that's significant. Mark wants you to know this is the Mount of Olives. This is the mount that was prophesied about in Zechariah we looked at a few months ago where Jesus will return to one day. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. And as soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here, and if anyone asks you what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. And as they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? 
And they said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take him. Then they brought the coat to Jesus, threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people were shout round him shouting, Praise God, or Hosanna, blessings on the, name, on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David, praise God in highest heaven. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went to the temple, and after looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon, and then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. We'll look at next week what he did the very next day, but there's a reason he went in and looked. So if we're going to have faith that endures, faith that we want our children to have, our grandchildren to have, I love what the Lord says. He will show mercy to a thousand generations of those of our children that follow him. We need to know why we're following Jesus. We need to be clear in our hearts and minds. And tonight, we follow Jesus because, number one, he's the Lord of all authority. He's the Lord of all authority. That's an important statement because God is in control of history. As he's riding into Jerusalem, he's neither influenced by the cheers of the crowd. He's neither influenced by the expectations of his disciples, nor is he intimidated by the Jewish leaders and the political leaders or Caesar that is there. Jesus is an absolute mastery of what's going on because everything is happening according to the Father's timetable. Everything is happening. He's riding in to Jerusalem. As Jesus and his disciples approach Jerusalem, he's riding in in Passover week. The Passover lambs are going to be slaughtered. He is going to be our Passover lamb, slain once and all from the foundation of the world, slain for our sins and our sins. Look at these three, next three verses. I'll read them in sequence. Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees have publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. When all the people in John chapter 12, when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus. Where was Lazarus from? Bethany. Also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading to priests decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. And then look at how the early church prayed in Acts chapter 4 and verse 27. In fact, in this, it happened in this very city for Herod and Tippus, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything you did was determined beforehand according to your will. That's why I say tonight, we follow him because God is large and in charge. He is Lord of all authority. Nothing can thwart the will of God. Satan can't thwart the will of God. Nations can't thwart the will of God. That doesn't mean that everything happens is according to the will of God, but that's the beauty and also the horror of the gift of free will that God gives to us. You can choose to bless your wife or you can choose to hurt your wife. 
You can choose to bless your children or curse your children. Let me go back to that thousand generations. I love the mercy and grace of God that will be visited if Jesus tarries upon my children and your children for a thousand generations. But people who rebel against the Lord, God says he will visit upon them to the third and fourth generation. And the reason that is there is because they're raising their children with the values that they have and the very penalties the very things that their sin affects them with, their children are learning, and then they're passing that down to the next generation. And by the way, when God spoke those words in the Old Testament, most people lived to be an average age of about 120. And so it's important that we understand our lives have a huge impact. You can experience the blessings of God, or you can choose to rebel against the authority of God. God will let you do that. You still won't thwart His will. God will let you do that. But there's no such thing as, this is my life, I'll do with it what I want to. You're going to affect up to the third and fourth generation that follows you. The decisions my grandfather made, the decisions my father made, the decisions I'm making, they're all affecting my grandchildren today. Does that make sense? And so that's what God is saying. We're blessed because of that. So either we submit to him willingly now and follow him, or else one day we'll bow our knee and we'll confess him as Lord anyway when we stand before him. Secondly, Jesus is Lord over all creation. He's Lord of all authority. He's in charge of what's happening despite everything that's going on. It's the right timetable. But you don't ride an unbroken colt. Or maybe if you're more PC, you don't ride an untrained colt. You know, I've watched my family through the years train or break a lot of young colts and, and horses and animals and things like that. But Jesus takes and they bring him this colt and he sits on it and it literally, it carries him. It takes him into Jerusalem. That's a miracle in and of itself. Why? John chapter 1 and verse 3. God created everything through him. Nothing was created except through him. Did you know sometimes donkeys can be smarter than people? Donkeys can be smarter than people. There was a donkey in the Bible that belonged to a man named Balaam. Remember that? And he was beating the donkey because the donkey was stopping. And finally God opened the donkey's mouth. And the donkey says, why are you beating me? If I kept on going, that angel would kill you right there. Sometimes donkeys are smarter than people. And this donkey recognized who its creator was. And if we're not careful, we don't recognize the creator of all that's around us. You know, we get these ideas that we create in our culture that we hope will make us no longer accountable to God. But everything is accountable to God. Look at Mark chapter 11, verse 2 with me tonight. Jesus told them, go into that village over there, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you what are you doing, just say the Lord needs it and we'll return it soon. Now, first of all, some people say Jesus must have went ahead and prearranged this. I don't think so. We followed his journey through the book of Mark pretty closely. We pointed out all the places he was at. I don't think Jesus went to Bethphage and, and set up a donkey and then said, because there's, they did, they asked him, what are you doing? I think we live by faith. We can never forget that. We live by faith. 
We trust Jesus. We act upon his word. The second thing I want you to see is this is a very interesting statement. And I've underlined it, and I hope you'll just circle it in your outline. Jesus said, tell them the Lord needs it. I'm not used to thinking that God needs anything. But there are times in our life where God says, I need your gift. I need your talent. I need your testimony. I need your time. And if we give it to him, look what else he says. The Lord needs it and will return it soon. Isn't that cool? God's promises to give back to us, pressed down, shaken together, and running over without measure. So sort of the life lesson, just kind of a side out of this, the life lesson here for me is this. If God needs something from me, if the Lord lays my, his, his hand upon my heart or lays something upon my heart, then I want to give it joyfully. I want to give it with gratitude that God trusted me enough to say, Dennis, will you give this? That, that thrills me that God says, I can trust Dennis. I can ask him and he's going to do what I'm going to ask him to do. But I also, and I don't apologize for this at all, I don't give to get, but I thank him that he gives back to me, pressed down, shaken together, and running over without measure. This church has given to me far more than I've ever given to them. You have given me in your friendship far more than I've ever given to you. But I tell you tonight, Christ has given far more to me than I've ever given to him. He gave me his life in exchange for my sins. Somebody say amen tonight. That is huge, I think. Look at uh, what Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse 29. <clears throat> Everyone who's given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much as return and will inherit eternal life. Not only will we receive in this life, but God blesses us in the next life. Thirdly, Jesus is Lord of prophecy. Josh McDowell says that Jesus fulfilled, I believe if I'm correct, 355 prophecies. That's amazing that Jesus fulfilled 355. The, the likelihood and time of God fulfilling all of those just exactly as he said he would don't let that slip over you. Do the math on that, on how unlikely that is. And yet, that's what Christ did for you and me. Even this entry was, was a fulfillment of the prophecy. Look with me tonight, if you would, at Psalms chapter 118 and verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. How many of you have heard that verse before? Did you know it came as a result of the prophecy of what's happening? I know you've heard this next verse. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Do you remember singing that as a chorus a few years ago? Yeah, that's a part of this, of this triumphal entry prophecy. Save now or Hosanna. That's what that means. Save now. Circle that right there in your outline. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is, this is Jesus fulfilling this very verse of Scripture. This is what the people are, are shouting as they're throwing their coats before him and throwing the palm fronds before him. They love this part. Sin now prosperity. <laughs> Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord and he has given us light. And this is what Jesus is going to do in just a very few days. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Jesus will be crucified for our sins.
Friends, I think what's so important to understand right here is they did not see what the real problem was. And sometimes when you're going through a trial or through a testing, you can be focused on what you want so much, I want relief from the pain. I want relief from this problem. That we don't understand what Jesus came to defeat was the devil, sin, and death. The devil, sin, and death. That's what he came to defeat. Now, he will come again. He will come riding a white horse. I mean, it's Caesar that's riding in on the other side of Jerusalem on a white horse. It's Pontius Pilate that's riding a white horse. Jesus is riding a donkey. A donkey is a beast of burden, but a donkey is a sign of peace. It's what Solomon wrote. Do you remember that, how Solomon rode the donkey? And it was also fulfillment because any animal that was given to God for sacred purposes it was not supposed to have been written or tied to a yoke of any kind. So there's so much going on here. The Lord comes humbly to Jerusalem. We go humbly in our ministry. The people rejoice. We rejoice as we come into his presence. Be joyful in worship. I watched Dallas, excuse me, I watched Detroit and Los Angeles play the other night. Wasn't that a fun game? I mean, that was a fun game. Detroit was raucous. Detroit was loud. I mean, it was, I was glad I was home watching it on the big screen television, to be honest. But it was so much fun to see Detroit fans just celebrating. It was good to see Matt Stafford come back. But it was also good to see that Jared Goff finally became the hometown hero that he's deserved to be since he's taken over. The point I'm making is we should be able to rejoice when we come into the presence of the Lord because there's been a much greater victory won than a 24-23 football game. Jesus has conquered sin. He's conquered death. He's conquered the enemy of our souls. Jesus knew that the crowd wanted him to become a military king, but he knew that before he could ride the white horse, he had to ride the donkey and he had to go to the cross. So friends, tonight, when you look at this passage, last year during the season leading up to Easter and Passion Week, I got a call from a young man that doesn't go to our church, and he goes, Pastor Clanton, I just passed a church on Sunday morning, and people were coming out with branches. What's that all about? And I said, well, first, you should have been at Woodland this morning instead of out fooling around. He goes, I know, I know, but what were the branches? I said, well, this was Palm Sunday. This is when Jesus came. He had no clue what I was talking about. But so many times when I talk to Christians about this, they don't have a clue. That's the reason tonight you need to see what's really going on here. Zechariah 9.9, rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious, yet he's humble. He's riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's coat. I remember when we talked about that in here during our, our series on Zechariah. Some people have said that you can take history and divide it and make it two words, his story. And it really is his story because he's in charge, he's in charge of all prophecies. Number four, he's the Lord of all judgment. And this is the part that sometimes people don't like to talk about. 
I'm going to go to the parallel account of this in Luke because Mark doesn't include this in his account. But to really get this, you need to see what Mark did not include, I think. Look with me at Luke chapter 19. As he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. Now, this word weep is different than the word weep that we read when Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus. That word was, if you remember, we're talk, that was kind of a soft cry. That's like I see it in funeral homes and in funerals a lot. I see that often. But this is loud. This is brokenhearted. This is grief that you've seen sometimes expressed. So all of a sudden, as Jesus is coming from Bethany, and he's coming up the mount, he's literally, you've, you've come, he's come down the Mount of Olives, and now he's coming up. He's beginning, he begins to just cry. How I wish today that you, of all people, would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late and the peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your wall and circle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will leave, not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. And Titus fulfilled this prophecy. Last night, yes, last night I was talking with someone and we were talking about how Titus fulfilled this very prophecy. And Becky and I, when we were in Rome, we went to the ark that was built in Titus's honor in ancient Rome. And, and we found and identified and took pictures of where the soldiers were. They showed the pictures of the, of the Ark of the Covenant. And it was a story of how Titus had conquered Rome. Caesar wanted Rome totally leveled. Remember, Jesus said, not one stone will remain upon another. And this is the third temple. There was Solomon's temple. There was the temple that Zechariah built that we looked at during our, our series on Zechariah. Herod had built another temple. This thing is going to be pulled down and totally destroyed. And what Jesus is saying, because the people are blind to what he's came for, and in a few days, because he's not meeting their expectations, the same people will be saying, a curse upon us and our children, or his blood be upon us and our children. And friends, it's so important that we understand the decisions that we make and how that influences our children. That does not mean the Jews are held responsible for Jesus' death. The Gentiles and the Jews crucified him. There's so many people groups going on here. But the tragic thing is, and I underlined this in your scripture verse, but circle this if you will. You did not recognize it when God visited you. When God came to you with love, when God came to you with grace, when God came to you with peace, when God came to you with healing. Think of all the miracles that Jesus had done. Even Lazarus was there that had been raised from the dead. Lazarus didn't abandon Christ. But how many are like some of the people that I referred to at the beginning of the message? God visited them, but when something didn't go or Jesus did not do things according to their expectations, rather than take up their cross and follow Christ, they turned away from Christ. Look at me. Don't miss what I'm going to say. 
Jesus knows everything about you. What you're thinking, how you pay attention, how you don't pay attention, what your secret desires are that nobody else knows. Jesus knows everything about you and he still loves you. But he offers us forgiveness for our sins. He offers us, if you were to go to court, the judge would pardon you if he could. Pardon that he offers you. And only Jesus can give that to you. That's the reason the fifth thing that this was all about is that Jesus is the Lord of salvation. And he came, and this is huge, he came the first time offering peace. And that offer of salvation stands until he comes again. And on that second coming, when his feet set down on the Mount of Olives, there will be judgment that follows after that. That's the reason the Bible says now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Now is the time that we should spend not only communicating, but talking to Jesus about our lost friends and communicating with them the good news. Understand this. If it wasn't a big deal, if sin and salvation wasn't a big deal, God would have never became flesh and gave himself at the cross. Think about this. Jesus didn't have to suffer. God could have killed him. He could have, he could have had the Romans just chop off his head. He could have, there was any number of ways they could have executed Jesus painlessly. But instead, he was tortured, he was whipped, he was bruised, he was beaten. According to the prophecies of the Old Testament, and Isaiah 53 makes it so clear because Jesus not only wanted to save us from our sins, but in his sufferings and by his stripes, he took our healing and our pain upon himself so that we could be healed. How could we ever treat Christ cavalierly? That's the reason we define discipleship at Woodland is becoming passionate followers of Christ. Let me just drive this home just a little bit before I close. And I especially run into this in talking to people. Sometimes people will say to me, look, I'm a good person. And if God doesn't want me in my goodness, then I don't want God. They won't feel that way at the last day. And it's not a matter about being good. I think sometimes we think God kind of grades on a sliding scale. What do teachers call it when they grade on a curve? She got it before you did, school teacher. They grade on a curve. I loved it when the teachers would grade on the curve. You know, they grade on the curve. Some of my classmates didn't like it when the teachers graded on the curve. They kind of think that maybe it's going to be a curve, that the really bad people like Adolf Hitler, he's going to hell. Not me. I'm a good person. Even if I don't accept Jesus. That is not what the Bible says. God's going to judge all of us, and we will all be judged whether or not we have accepted and believed that Christ suffered and died for us and atoned for our sins. That's the reason I don't say it cavalierly, but you'll hear me say many times because I don't want people to forget it. I point to that cross and say, I'm here because of what he did at Calvary. I'm here because of what he did. I can never be good enough. And I think the second thing is, is if we're not careful, we think 
it requires perfection to go to heaven. In my last message, I dealt with that. It's not a matter of being perfect. You and I will never be perfect. You know me. You know I will never be perfect. But I know you. You will never be perfect either. Even though some of you might think you're as close to perfect as there can be. What was the old country music song? Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Do you remember that? Yeah. Some people think that. We won't go to heaven because we're perfect. We'll go to heaven because of Mark 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life a ransom for many. Now, the story closes with Jesus walking to the temple and looking around. What would Jesus find if he looked in the O'Connor home and the Ford home and the Cost home? What would he find in your home, my home? What does he find when he comes to Woodland? I think that's the thing we sometimes want to pause and think about because Jesus paused, he looked around, and then he went back to Bethany. And that's where the story is going to pick up next week, what Jesus did as a result of what he saw. God bless you. Let me pray for you, and we're going to say good night. Father, we love you with all of our hearts, and we ask you in the name of Jesus that you would touch and search each of our hearts. Why are we following you, Lord? I thank you that you do give us peace. I thank you that you do give us joy. I thank you that you do heal us of our sicknesses. But tonight, Lord, we follow you because you're the Lord of all authority. You're the Lord of all creation. You're the Lord of all prophecy, Lord. Jesus, I thank you tonight that, God, you're the Lord of history and you're the Lord of my salvation. That's why I follow you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Good night.